you're listening to Season 4, Episode 7. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Shop. My name is Therese and I'm your host. I run a business called Small Business Collaborative where I get to help small business owners start and grow their wholesale and make more sales and increase their profitability. On this podcast, I speak to brand owners, buyers, shopkeepers, industry experts, all about running a small business and building that relationship between the retailer and the brand. Today I'm speaking with Abigail from Abigail Warner, a creative studio that produces luxury paper goods and that includes personalised wrapping paper. They have been running shops in retailers like such as Harrods and Selfridges and all sorts of high-end stores across the world and Abigail also does high-end wedding stationery. We spoke all about how Abigail got started, how her first big retailer was Harrods and how that happened and Abigail shares all her tips for getting started and running a small business. She also shares some of the mistakes that she has done throughout the years that she's been running her business and challenges that the business has faced. I recorded this episode with Abigail back in September when I was recording most of this season's episodes. Not the solo ones but most of the guest ones. It feels like a long time ago now. I loved my chat with Abigail. I think that she has so much industry experience and she also shares about Retail Fest which is an event she runs at top draw and it used to be a standalone event and she shares a little bit more about that so i really hope that you enjoy our chat and um here's my talk with abigail from abigail warner hello abigail thank you so much for coming on let's talk shop i'm so happy to have you here thank you for having me I would love for us to start off by you introducing yourself and your business and what you do. Okay, so I manage a boutique studio uh, that primarily focuses on uh, printed products. So we have a, a beautiful range of home office stationery and we also are very well known in the uh, luxury retail world for having experiential retail collaborations with retailers such as Selfridges, Harrods and uh, John Lewis in the UK as well as internationally um, in Paris at Le Bon Marché and also in Zurich at Gemini, Brown Thomas which is part of the Selfridges group in Dublin. So I uh, kind of go pretty hot and heavy with uh, the, the, the luxury retail side of the market and produce beautiful exclusive collaborations. That's wonderful and do you do that under your brand or do you do that under their brand so it depends on the retailer so we can bring something to life for them that's you know kind of quite white labelly that the end user wouldn't know is you know not part of that store a bit of retail theatre for them uh, or we do something and the, the retailer feels that you know the, the name that we have you know adds value so we'll do it as ex-retailer in collaboration with Abigail Warner so it just it, it really depends on the retailer and how they want to, to position it. And how did you get 
to this stage? How did you get started? When did you get started? So I set up my business in 2007. Um, I launched the business just as we were going into a recession, which obviously I didn't know at the time because I may have been a little bit more uh, speculative about that. I launched the business um, having worked for, you know, worked in London for, for a couple of years. And I've been doing some design work on the side, very casually, uh, kind of getting into design the way I think people do, you know, just, just in a kind of informal way at first, and then developed a bit of a love for producing and designing. And for me, that always the bit that I love the most is the creative process. And I launched the business at Harrogate Home and Gift, which is a beautiful trade event that's ran every year in July in 2007, and knew from the outset who my customer was. And basically, I just looked very much to myself as to help, you know, to, to develop the, the look and the aesthetic, the tone, the color palette, the product itself. I went to market very, very clear with with what that offering actually was. I was very lucky or, or lucky or did I make a good business decision? I'm not sure. I took on a PR company from the outset and they helped me open some doors and helped me refine my message. And also the investment at Harrogate helped me as well. My, the first big retailer that I got was Harrod. Wow, that must have been so cool. Oh, it, was, it was amazing. Um, I can remember the exact moment when they walked on my stand. This was actually in the January. It was the first London trade event that I'd done. Uh, and it was top draw January. I can even remember the number of my stand. I was A13. I, I considered that lucky. 13, obviously, we know people can consider it unlucky, but I, for me, it's always lucky. And um, it was literally five past six, and the show, or five past five, whatever time the show closes. And one of one of the bits of advice I'd, I'd received um, from my dad, actually, was never be in a rush to leave these you know these things you've paid so much money to be here you put so much into it make sure that you're there you know after the, the show's finished because you just never know and the yeah. show had actually closed at this point and the, the the buyer from Harrods he came and he um you know picked what was called the Ula La collection and um and yeah so we started selling uh with Harrods in 2008 and we then went on to do an exclusive collaboration with them. We, at one point, sold their most expensive greetings card because back in the day when things were very heavily embellished yeah. um, and the look was incredibly bling. So we, we sold the most expensive greetings card at Harrods and therefore probably in London. And yeah, it just, just kind of went from there. And I, I think that what happens is as you get, you know, that there's some luck involved for sure. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. They were looking for a story and my designs that, you know, were, were kind of new to the market. I wasn't sold in any of the, in their competitors at the time. And they, I had what they were looking for. That is luck, you know, there's no other, you know, kind of way to view that really. So yeah, and then that, that 
that was in 2008 and you know I still work with them so it's um yeah it for me you know the the longevity of that is great and it also you know kind of really um made sure I guess to me as well as my customer that that is the customer base that I was for you know that people who use Harrods as a corner shop you know that's that's the customer that I was going for so it just cemented I guess that that was what I was going for uh and that's that's what I that's what I got so that's kind of how it all started with the big retailers that's amazing and how did you feel like when that happened do you remember how you felt oh god yeah absolutely and um I was absolutely overjoyed because I was a Harrods customer. For me, it, it, it just ticked a lot of my boxes. I'm not necessarily motivated by, you know, I, I don't know whether I should be admitting this or not, but I'm not really motivated by money. I, I find that, you know, kind of having that perfect brand alignment for me gives way more gratification you know than than having a a really big contract with a another retailer which I've also had as well but that nothing ever compared to the first order that I did um that I fulfilled for for Harrods yeah I can still like I say I can remember the day they placed the order I can remember the day that we you know raised our first invoice to them I can remember the day that we personally drove down to the distribution center and hand delivered you know the first order yeah it was like a a, you know it's like a fairy tale to me that's amazing and did you when you first started your business because you were so clear on what you were doing and where you were positioning yourself did you have like a list of retailers of like this is the dream sort of list I, I kind of did. I, I had a I had a list of that, that was really it, it did I don't think it actually said what retailers. I think it was just you know, when I was talking about the brand, because obviously I had to for press releases for the PR company, I just was targeting myself at luxury, high end lifestyle and fashion boutiques. So obviously that Harrods fits into that apart from not boutique it's you know an enormous department store um I don't think that I felt at that point you know the business had only been going for seven months at that point I was still very much finding my feet and at that point I was only you know I picked up some fabulous beautiful indie boutiques at Harrogate and picked up you know kind of lots more at at top drawer I just literally you know was like I said I was blown away when Mm. and and it just really helped me from a confidence perspective um and also what you tended to find I don't know if it's the case now but when you know you're in one then you tend to pick up the other you know the, the other kind of boutiques and you would I would get people who would go into Harrods and see the cards and love them and love the aesthetic and then they put them to do their weddings but there's an organic process as well that by association of being with this certain brand mm. and get other you know kind of other work or other projects or you know other leverages so it's a bit of a chain reaction, I think. Uh, absolutely, it is. And I think especially that thing where you're in one and it opens the door for other opportunities. Yeah. I think they all visit 
each other's shops, shops. Uh, perhaps not quite right now, but you know, yeah. normally they they do keep a track of each other, I suppose. Yeah. And they want to be different, but they also want to be a little bit the same. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and how have you always do you also manufacture your products or how do you work with them or do you just provide a design service no no we we do um well we don't do the manufacturing in-house no uh, we use various um manufacturers around the uk um depending on what it is any external print work that we do we use a company uh, in nottingham called century studios to do all of my print work and I've, I've used them for 13 years you know since we set the business up and they're you know exceptional at customer service I'm always as I said earlier I'm, I'm always in things for you know the, the long term so I you know kind of really do my homework on the, the manufacturing side of things because I want it to be forever you know whilst I'm mm offering that particular product or, or you know whatever so I always go I'm naturally very curious so I will always go and visit my um, manufacturers and also because we only manufacture in the UK so it, it's you know kind of easier to do that it means yeah. Can manage that supply chain. I'm absolutely passionate about making things in the UK, and there's also a, you know a huge sustainability element there as well, as well as supporting local economies. So um, that kind of ticks all my boxes. Um, in terms of the design, we're a design studio, so the designs are, are done you know in house. Um, I have uh, one of the, the girls who works um, with me, Nicola. She's a fashion print designer, so um, she's incredible, you know, producing pattern repeats. So um, we use, you know, kind of lots of, of her work that will be to my brief, and then it will get, you know, kind of worked on by me or get worked on by, you know, other members of the team um, so that it's a truly collaborative kind of piece of work. That's lovely. That's nice that you have found a way that works really well for you guys and that you work on it together. It's nice to work as a team because I guess when you started, was it just you or what? So it was, it was just me for probably about 18 months mm. uh, with help, you know, kind of unpaid, you know, kind of family and friends. And then I, because we, as well as doing the retail side of things, we also did a lot of weddings, but I only ever limited my, you know, number of weddings that we do, but they were a really high end. So always required a lot of, you know, kind of hand holding. And I always like to go and meet my brides and, you know, spend time with them. So very, and also I should note that most of our customers, I'd say, continue, you know, without exception, at any one time, 80% of our customer base is in London. I just found myself spending more and more time, you know, traveling. So it just meant that the online shop, our not on high street shop and the retail needed somebody else to kind of look after it. Um, And that's when I, I brought in help. So I've had different people, you know, kind of work for me over the years. But the current setup that we have is where there's myself, and I have um, Helen, 
um, who is basically the studio manager. So she, you know, manages all of the, well, everything from stock ordering to the online orders mm-hmm. and, you know, admin and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And then I've got Rebecca, who does, you know, anything, you know, kind of marketing led so she does you know the newsletter that we're launching she does a lot of the wedding design she'll meet you know a lot of the wedding clients and you know kind of just she, she's just brilliant at things like brochures and you know whatever everybody kind of plays to their strengths and then there's Nick who is the fashion print designer who does lots of beautiful you know prints and you know pattern paints um, I tend to concentrate on business development and you know kind of uh, the, the client management side of things and it just yeah it works really nicely and then we just bring in seasonal you know people to help on top of that that's nice do you miss the designing bits at all no I still very I'm still very involved so I as I mentioned earlier I love the creative process so Mm. um all of the inspiration um comes from my mood boards and I like to do physical mood boards not just you know digital mood boards um to Mm. set you know, to create a story for a look or a collection or, or whatever. And I'll very much kind of say, these are my ideas. And my ideas will be, we use um, Illustrator to create all of our software. We use Illustrator software to create the designs. And, um, you know, it's very much, you know, a collaborative uh, product. You know, I'm still, I'm still very, very involved. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a bit too much in some cases, but um, so yeah, so I, I feel like I get the best of all parts of the business, really. That's great. And do you find, you know, with the type of retailers that you work with, like the really high end ones, yeah. do you find that there's any particular challenges that you face working with them versus working with other types of retailers? I mean, for sure. The, the biggest challenge I think we're working with retailers is their constant you know kind of need for newness and you know a new collection or what are you bringing out now or where are you expanding into you know kind of I'm hoping that with the dawn of this you know kind of new approach to buying as in consumer buying that you know this will kind of the stress of that will ease off a little bit because we found for sure that to keep one of our retailers happy I'm happy to share that retailer, say John Lewis, that we ended up, because of my insistence of manufacturing in the UK, uh, we ended up having lost leaders that went into the stores, which caused an enormous financial black hole in the business that I didn't foresee because I didn't realise they were going to order in the quantities that they did. So something to note is that whatever you put in front of them, they may buy, you know, so and I just not worked out the the kind of fine detail enough to work out that actually that's going to cost us to put in and we ended up having to pull them and nobody wants to do that. Such an awful feeling. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not great. You know, I mean, I've made every single mistake in the book, literally. um, And that was, that was a big a uh, big lesson learned. And the other issue, again, using them as an example, is just how long they take to paint you. You know, so you're propping up back in 
you know, back in 2015, which was when we launched our, you know, kind of a big uh, home office collection, which had, you know, kind of letter trains, magazine racks, pen park, you know, a, a huge range of, of beautiful, beautiful wares. We weren't being paid for, you know, kind of 90 days for product that we'd put into, you know, production 90 days before that. So your yeah. hole that you are having to plug, you know, in your cash flow becomes huge, you know, just to develop products just because you're responding to this never-ending desire for newness. And it's you just have to be very careful, I think. But I think until you work at that kind of level, you don't know what you do and what you don't want to do and what you are happy to do and where you are happy to stretch yourself and, you know, kind of what, what works for you. It's, it's hard. That's growing pains. So uh, I definitely learned a lot in that year <laughs> that I don't, yeah, I wouldn't be interested in repeating. But, you know, so there, there are challenges, but there's also huge pros that come with those challenges. Once you've been and worked with those retailers, you learn so much. Yeah. And whether that be good or bad, um, you can apply to all decisions that you make with the business going forward, all clients that you know you make going forward. And when you're associated with those brands, um, people know that they can trust your brand, you know, so that there's you've it's the same as anything, you know, you've got to take the rep with the smooth. Yeah. I guess now you know you're never gonna sell something as a loss leader again or present it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, but I think that that is a very, very common mistake people do. Or I don't even know if you want to, yeah, a mistake. You know, it's it's one of those things that is so easy to get yourself into one of those situations because there's so much excitement going into supplying one of those retailers too. Yeah, exactly. And I think where I'd probably just missed the mark on that was I'm normally really good with pricing and I'd the really great thing about predominantly paper-based products is the margins are really workable and mm-hmm. they will immediately ask you for a discount and they will immediately ask you for a discount on your final invoice if they settle within a certain period so you're already looking at potentially between 10 to 25 percent off your already tight trading price for yeah. and because this new line was new to me as a you know a business of working with these specific products whereas I would normally have some leeway with making design decisions that would save pence here and there with these particular products the the saving money capacity just wasn't there. Mm. Um, actually, some of the design decisions I'd made that I considered essential were essential, and I couldn't drop them. And actually, ended up having to add to it. So, just a huge learning curve, you know, on that. But I wouldn't change it. You know, it, it taught me so much in in that you know in, in that period I am a limited company so I have a an accountant who reviews my accounts uh, monthly 
which is something that I've set up off the back of an, uh, you know, again, a learning situation. I find that very helpful combined with, I use an online platform called Xero, which is brilliant. And, you know, I I just was was being challenged by, you know, how much things were actually costing me because you could have, you could be having thousands and thousands of pounds of sales, but actually it doesn't matter if the bottom line is, you know, kind of struggling. And, you know, I, I really needed as a, a bit of a kind of wake up call, I guess, kind of reining in on what I was going to do with, you know, with these products long term. So we withdrew them from, from John Lewis and sell them directly to customers. That's where, you know, that kind of really helped me. I still really wanted to, to sell these beautiful products. But you, there's, there's some things, especially if your focus is on manufacturing in the UK, um, that just doesn't lend itself to selling as trade. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it was a learning. Yeah, and I think when you go in and negotiate with this these big retailers too, you don't know at the start how much it's going to cost you to deliver to them and all the work that goes into it. Yeah, I think it's kind of because a couple of the things we de- we kind of developed together and whatever you, you kind of quote, they will hold you to, you know, regardless of whether things change, you know, along the way. But you're at the time, you're so, when you're in, the, in that situation, all you want to do is you want to be able to fulfill on what you're saying, right? So you're Mm. kind of happy to kind of let the book stop with you. I would never, ever do that now. Absolutely, you know, not do that now. But I was was happy to do it then. And, yeah, I think, you know, you just have to, to try. You don't know. It's all a learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so much harder that, in that sense, if it's your brand, it's your business, because you can make that choice. Whereas, you know, if you work as a salesperson and you they push back, you end up having to push back because you're not going to go to your manager and say, we're going to lose money on each sale. Yeah. You never. So I think that as business owners, it's such a challenge because your heart and your kind of sensible part of your brain they kind of have a bit of a conflict yeah exactly you know but but something kicks in something has to kick in if you're going to use anything as a sense checker if you're a creative it has to be your financials nothing else make you know there's no other metric if you want to keep your business alive and keep going and do what you love you need to get clear on your numbers yeah, exactly do you still sell to independents as well um so we sell to independents that we have always kind of worked with but i don't take on any new retail contracts that we fulfill on you know you know some old stock but you know we don't we don't develop new products for anyone other than brief with an exclusive retailer anymore okay so that's when did you start moving towards that kind of business model um 2016 and did did that make it more creative for you i i just would suddenly got very nervous about pushing the button on massive print runs and i was getting absolutely zero joy from doing that and I just kind of 
went back to first points of principles of what made me happy and just printing huge print runs of greetings cards, wrapping paper, notebooks, you know, whatever that looked like, just did absolutely nothing for me. Mm. So I made some decisions towards the tail end of 2015 that coincided with us starting a new, we, we started working a lot more closely with the a handful of large retailers. My focus just shifted from having you know the collection based on our spring summer to working to a brief with the retailer in collaboration, mm. and and we also started that year in Christmas, autumn, winter, two thousand and fifteen, doing pop up shops in retailers. Um, so that a lot of our focus kind of went from the everyday Mm. seasonal pop-ups because obviously just because something's live for three months it's it's in you know kind of production for nine months before that so you know there there were some decisions that were that were made that kind of helped shape that and how is that going you know in terms of this year with everything that happened are you doing any pop-ups this year no so it's going to be very strange Christmas this year so for the past five years from September uh, so from kind of like now or even before I guess we've been you know we would be working on the the, the launches of the of the pop-ups uh, the concessions in in high profile retailers and you know we're not doing any of them this year because we take our own well we work a number of ways but um, we take our team in either to do the installation which would be done by me or we'll have a whole team down there for the winter doing the uh, predominantly personalized wrapping paper to order and there's no way that you can really safely offer that level of customer service in a way that I would be happy with at the minute you know where I've not been to London since March you know so or I've been overseas but in a in a very relaxed kind of holiday vacation kind of way not in a working way so it's on it's paused for this year so it's going to be very strange um it's normally so full-on and I'm you know traveling internationally installing printers and Macs and training teams and normally really exciting and glamorous and fabulous and I absolutely love it yeah we're we're not going to have any of that this year um I've had to you know, make the switch to um, working so closely with the retailers to becoming the retailer myself, which we we did. We had anyway, you know, on the high street for 13 years, you know, you know, have our own e-commerce shop, but have always had the focus very much on the retail side of things. Whereas, you know, now um, temporarily focuses on basically becoming a bit of a, you know, or becoming an e-commerce business. And how are you finding that? Um, I mean, it's challenging because it's a very tactile product and the reason our product is so successful within retailers is because people get to see the product being made and that's what one of the reasons why you can justify as well as the, the, the physical cost of it but the, the retail theater adds a really lovely dimension to the buying process yeah and you can sell the product because you're in front of the customer and taking it online you lose so much of that 
that. And yeah, so we don't know how it's going to go. You know, we're I'm investing a lot of time and money at the minute for the website to launch, you know, in October, ready for the you know Christmas period with some customization software. So people can actually, you know, kind of try before they buy on, you know, the 12 best-selling products. Yeah. So that they've still got some element of the, the retail theatre, if you like, but it's a very, very different proposition. At the end of the day, um, our hero product is a luxury consumable, and you either kind of get it or you don't. We'll, we'll see. It's going to be a learning curve again. Yeah, <laughs> this year has been a bit like that. Yeah, <laughs> so you also do a lot with Clarion and Top Draw and Home and Gift. What do you do with them? So basically how that came about was I used to run a bit of a paper community called the Paper Girls and annually we put on something called Paper Fest and it was a really great success but it became very big very quickly and alongside all of the other work that I was doing just became huge to kind of put on you know by yourself and I wanted it to be in glamorous locations in London and have amazing speakers and you know kind of we would have to go and you know load into one marlebone for example at you know kind of 2 15 a.m in the morning you know for an event that was that day so you were you know kind of living on Red Bull and it was fab but it, it wasn't a sustainable project for me in terms of, you know, long term. And I'd invited Top Draw actually to one of the events to talk to the, the community who was there about the, the benefits of exhibiting at trade shows. So they came to one of the events that we put on at the music rooms on South Moulton Street in London um, in 2015, I think it was, and um, just really enjoyed it and felt that we'd you know kind of created something quite special and there was you know some really great partnerships going on and basically asked if I would come and deliver the event as part of Top Draw Mm -hmm. so basically exactly the same you know kind of theory of a platform of speakers and an awards program and you know other interviews and other ways of raising brands profile and you know getting people to to talk to each other Mm. within top draw so that's what we did the first show I think was in 2016 I may be slightly out with my years here and yeah so that's been that's been been really great so I I basically get to carry on you know kind of um you know working on a really great product that is you know supports the community helps people whilst kind of learning from a really amazing big company like Clarion so yeah that that's kind of how it came about really that's so interesting I didn't know the backstory of that at all so that's so great to hear yeah yeah it's fab and they're, they're great to work with like I said earlier you know that they're, they're kind of they're really invested in in the community so it's not just that they they manage events, you know, that they really 
interested, I think, because the shows have been going on for so long. And so Top Draw and, you know, Home and Gift at Harrogate, they've got such great kudos in the industry. They're just really invested in that. So being able to pivot from being an in-person events company to a virtual events company where they're attracting thousands of people to look at the brands that exhibit with them and support the buyers. And they, they were, you know, able to turn that around in you know, kind of months is is pretty admirable. Mm. Yeah, I think the show organizers definitely all had like a big task at hand yeah. when you know we found out they can't run. Yeah. It, it's can't have been easy, especially with the sort of outlays they would have had already. Yeah, totally. It's it's and I I can't comment on the nuts and bolts of it, but yeah, it's it's a bit mind blowing. It is, it is. I think it's I, I, I don't know the ins and outs either at all. But I, I think it's admirable that all the shows have done something. Yeah. They tried their best and I think everyone has done as much as they can out of a pretty unusual situation. Exactly. Yeah. And do you have any top tips for younger brands that are just starting out that you wish you knew when you started? I think the one thing that kind of really stood me in really great stead, um, because because I came from a business environment, I think as well, that kind of I had that kind of mindset. But it's this thing around people talk about it a lot um, now, uh, but this understanding your customer. Mm-hmm. literally shapes everything you do and I was really you know lucky that because of my background when I was in corporate world I had a, a coach who helped me you know kind of mindset you know kind of this was you know I'm going back 15 years so I was incredibly privileged to be of that mindset way back in the day and I think if you combine that with I'm quite confident well I'm a very confident person I think it just really really helps you get clarity on what your messages are what you're looking for why you're doing it and then add to that why are you doing it you know for me I was really tired of commuting. I, at the time, you know, just turned 30. I was kind of spending half my life on a train in and out of London. My time wasn't my own. So one of the reasons I set up my business was to gain time. Now, don't get me wrong, on the early days, that concept when I say in the early days, I was up at 4.30 this morning as well. You know, I'm, I'm still yeah. very kind of whatever, but it's that was, you know, preparing for a shoot. I wanted to do that. You know, it's not, I'm not getting up at 4.30 just to kind of put a greetings card order together or, you know, kind of. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of understand and be honest with yourself about, you know, your why you're doing it. Because you will revisit that a lot, you know, during your, you know, kind of business journey. And have a very critical eye. So I, the person I try and please the most, and I think this goes back to me being my customer, is me. So I have a little, and I know that that sounds quite arrogant, by the way, but I feel like if you're wanting to work in the luxury sector, you Mm. again it kind of goes back to this clarity of what you want out of whatever it is you're doing that you know I'm very critical with myself it does make me critical with others as well but you know I'm I'm very critical with myself nothing will go out unless it's you know of a 
a standard that you know I'm completely happy with yeah so I think you know again that probably comes to putting your name to something um and yeah and probably make sure that even when you you know if you're only thinking about working with really small indie retailers your costings and your financials have to make sense and and you have to be super super clear on that get a software solution that ties in your stock to your invoicing and just enter from you know kind of day one with the mindset of of the fact that it is a business rather than a, a hobby or you know if it's a hobby that's turned into a business then talk about it as if it's a business I went limited from day one because I was you know kind of I wanted to think about my business as a business I think that's a great advice and I think it's something we talk a lot about nowadays but back then I don't know if people talked about your mindset yeah. <laughs> so that's really good and how do you feel about retail this autumn are you feeling excited still even though you're not doing the pop-ups I, I'm excited I don't know as excited with there is a you know a little bit of, of apprehension um, mm. and um, you know kind of what what it's going to bring i I've, I had a, a model that I used, it was very successful, you know, so I replicated it, I licensed it, I, you know, kind of had a really great time with it. And all of a sudden, like a lot of people, it that doesn't, it's not that, you know, that, that, yeah. that reach market is you know temporarily doesn't exist so i i have a level of apprehension but it's only because it's the unknown so i but i am excited you know i'm we as i mentioned we've got a photo shoot in the studio tomorrow and i can't wait you know we've got a christmas i'm sat here with a christmas tree to the left of you know it's kind of and a bottle of more wine that isn't opened yet um you know and i'm i there's a lot of energy. We've got a lot of energy for, you know, kind of making the e-commerce, you know, the new e-commerce side of business success. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I guess I am excited, but, you know, with a caveat of that we're just very much finding our way. Yeah. And I, I guess that's how most of us are probably feeling about the year. Like, I'm super excited in the sense where I think this is going to be a great year for small businesses, yeah. especially if you have a strong online presence. Yeah. But uh, there's obviously apprehension in terms of like, you know, what's the industry going to look at? like after this how do we come out on the other side what's going to happen with trade shows in january and february there's lots of not unknowns but i i think i'm choosing to look at all the positives i mean that's the only thing you can do because i think you know part of life is ignoring the negative isn't it you know it's yeah. survival tactics so why would we be looking at this any different but i think at the same time you know there, there has to be some sound decisions that are made, you know, kind of en route to that. And I think, you know, I'm looking forward to sitting down in January and reviewing what's worked and what hasn't and letting that. Because the only only way that you can make sound business decisions is from data, you know, sales or, you know, kind of whatever your metrics are. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of looking forward to fast forwarding, if you like, and learning, and then making yeah. sure that for next year I have a really robust plan in all manners of whatever you know that that kind of looks like. And we're also going to know 
um, you know, what, what the football is. So is, is, mm. is the football in retail great enough to, you know, kind of balance out being able to do pop-ups again? You know, it is, it's, so, it's going to be really interesting. I'm intrigued, mm. you know, my ever-curious nature I'm I'm intrigued to see what what the retail landscape is going to be over Christmas. So am I. I think it, it's going to be very interesting, and we can just work on it and do our best, and then see what happens. It would be great to hear how listeners, if they want to buy your personalized products, or if they want to support you and follow you and connect with you, how can they do that? So I have um, a portfolio website, which is abigailwarner.com. Now you can hop onto our shop, um, which has uh, an edit for autumn and winter of our best-selling uh, products, as well as some new newness. Um, and you can reach me also on uh, social at amlwarner. And my social is kind of a bit of a just a digital scrapbook really of um you know my life and the brand and you know what we get up to that's brilliant thank you so much for coming on the podcast and taking the time even though you have your shoot tomorrow i'm very very thankful and it was great to chat with you thank you thank you so much for having me thank you so much abigail and thank you so much to all of you who are listening i really hope that you enjoyed that episode we are getting close to the finish line for the season now, whether you are staying open or not. I'm sure you're getting to that point where it's close to your last guaranteed shipping date before Christmas. So I really hope that you have had a great season and that you are still got some energy for the festivities that will hopefully happen over Christmas. It will be an odd one for sure, but hopefully by next Christmas we will be back to a much more normal situation. I will be taking a little break over Christmas. There will be one episode next Monday and then there will be a few weeks without any episode. But until next Monday, I hope that you have a wonderful week and I hope that you tune back in then. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.